You're listening to the Enneagram and Marriage Podcast. I'm your host, Krista Harden, and I'm so glad you showed up for our relationship chat today, as well as for you and your people. We're all about living intentionally here so you can experience joy and balance in your relationships once again or for the very first time. Be sure you hang with us on our social media platforms. And if you like research like I do, make sure you check out our website at enneagramandmarriage.com for our weekly newsletter, freebies, and so much more, as well as at Instagram and Facebook. We have so many goodies to share with you. Let's dive right in together. I'm so thankful that we get to have Sheila Ray Gregoire on again as we talk about her and her husband's new book that she's going to tell us all about in a little while. For those of you who remember Sheila coming on earlier on the podcast, she is a wonderful wealth of resources, a very vibrant type eight on the Enneagram who really helps us to be powerfully aware of the need for reciprocity in the sexual arena, not because we're trying to be all about just fairness and justice, although those things are important, but she really helps us to see that in marriage, it's all about intimacy and vulnerability. And we're going to talk about those things with her today on the podcast, because I want you guys to know that your sex life can be very spiritual and this, and sometimes we even have conflict and I think that this episode kind of ties in a lot of the topics we've broached this year already. And if you're listening in April of 2022, we've talked in January about self-care. We've talked in February about romance. And in March, it was all about conflict. And now we're entering the domain of spirituality. All four of these were in trajectory with our Enneagram and Marriage Glow Relationship Planner. And whether you're doing the light version by just listening here on the podcast or hodgepodging it, or whether you are actually in the planner with us, I want you to know that this episode really brings all of that together. Because when we're feeling loved and intimate in our lives, we have better sex lives. And when we have more intentionally vulnerable and intimate sex, we feel better in the other arenas. So it's a really cool tie-in of all that and even spiritually being prayerful, being thoughtful, being intentional to show love and to, to be kind to each other. This is a part of all of it. So thank God for Sheila and her work because she's also helping us to correct some of the earlier mistakes that those of us who want to follow after Christ, we really know that sometimes as a collective, we've made some mistakes. So Sheila is able to correct a lot of that and say, guys, we can do better than this. We can do better than, well, you guys will hear her talk, but she is just so inspiring. And we are going deep into the topic of sex on this episode. So make sure if there are littles around that you just put those AirPods in, whatever you need to do to get private, because we are definitely going to be talking about a lot of important topics. I don't want you to miss this episode, but also some topics that will need just adult ears or teen ears if you're teaching your teens. But as far as Wes and I, we are so thankful for this book that she's sharing about today, The Good Guy's Guide to Great Sex, that she and her husband, Dr. Keith Gregoire, wrote. So I'm so excited that we get to talk about it. it it's a phenomenal book. This is like an important episode you don't want to miss a minute of. And I don't say that about a lot of episodes, but this is one you don't want to miss a minute of. So come back to it. If if you have to leave, come back. We need you. We need you to know this episode is one you don't want to miss. Even after 25 years of being together with Wes and over 20 years of marriage, there was even things for us to learn too from the book. So it's great for amazing for newlyweds, amazing for people along the way. We've all had some injuries around the areas of sex. If you're human, if you're alive, you've had some injuries around the area of sex. And I don't mean all physical, but some kind of emotional. So make sure you remember this. Also, in addition to Sheila's amazing classes that she's going to be talking about, I do want you to know we have in the show notes, Jay Stringer's conference on sexual attachments and issues. Jay Stringer's episode was also very revolutionary as he talked about his book, Unwanted, and he has a conference coming up. Last year's conference was sold out. It's an online conference, and I'm excited for you guys to be able to to take part in that as well. And I even have a code for you for Enneagram and Marriage listeners to get a discount. So make sure you check out his conference as well. Uh, he also comes from a Christian lens, but also a very 
I want to say woke Christian lens in the way that uh, he's really helping you to take a deeper dive into the why behind the trauma. So together today with Sheila saying, hey, if you need a deeper dive, we have Jay Stringer. And then we also have Sheila. She still goes quite exhaustively through almost every topic. But but for the deeper dives, that's why we have Jay Stringer's conference. So we're covering all of our bases together this month as we process spiritually together. Um, and both of these individuals come from a place of respect, even if you don't share their faith. So love to have them. So grateful. This is amazing that we have such great resources out there. We know we're not alone as we do our trauma work. But let's invite Sheila on as we talk with Sheila about great sex. Right. Sheila, I'm so happy to have you on the Enneagram and Marriage podcast today. Yes. Thanks for having me back. It's wonderful to be here. <laughs> Yay. I'm so glad. And I am all in eight mode right now. You're an Enneagram eight, right? Yes. Eight wing seven, I think. Yes. Oh, I love it. I see your vibrancy. Yes. So much fun. <laughs> Did you guys ever figure out what type your husband was? No problem if not. I think Rebecca says he's a six, <laughs> but I don't know. <laughs> Okay. I've read his book now. So I've got all these little theories. I'm like, is he a one? Mm -hmm. Is he a five? Now you're bringing six in and that's fitting. So all of those are very kind types. Mm -hmm. So I love just reading your book together. Congratulations on your two new books. Yes. Yes. The good girl's guide to great sex. I rewrote it. So it first came out 10 years ago and I did a massive rewrite since we've done this huge survey since then. Um, So I wanted the right data in there. And then my husband and I wrote the good guys guide to great sex together too. So, oh my gosh. And I know that the ladies and guys listening are so thankful and excited. You guys are chatting about this topic. I know my husband was so excited. He wanted to (laughs) practice after we talked about, I'm like, no, this is my work, honey. Um, but I think that it's really fun for Christian couples and Christian and couples who are just exploring spirituality to be able to say, you know, Mm -hmm. gosh, we're allowed to talk about this. How refreshing. Yes, Yes, absolutely. (laughs) Thank you. Was that a difficult topic for you guys to, to write about, or was it pretty easy since you're an eight? Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I'm always, I've always been open about pretty much anything and he's a physician, so he doesn't have quite the same hangups that a lot of people have about talking about the body, but we also went through such a terrible first couple of years of marriage in this area. And we learned so much that it's almost like we have to talk about it to rescue other people from what we went through too. So, you know, because we, we went through all of that, I think that it, it helps us to talk about it because yeah, we have, we have a lot of learning that we can share. So you do. And your book is so vulnerable, which is, I know such a great growth path for eights and so real and raw. And I just want to say thank you on behalf of all of the Enneagram and marriage listeners. We're just so grateful that you shared Mm -hmm. so much and you're going to today. So thank you. Um, so I want to talk with you about the book, but lots of things within it that I think our audience will be grabbing the book, um, when they hear, but most importantly, I just want to help couples to feel more comfortable to talk about and to be engaging in their, their sex lives. So can you tell us a little bit first, just about what inspired you to write this book? Mm-hmm. Well, again. I first, yeah, I first wrote the good girl's guide to great sex in 2012, because mm-hmm. when we first got married, I had read a few Christian marriage books and they, they just wrecked everything for me. Mm-hmm. I had been really excited about sex. Like, seriously, I was, I was mm-hmm. counting down the days till I could have sex, not until like I got married. I mean, I was just really excited. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I read these books and my whole perspective changed because they presented sex as this duty where I had to give it no matter what. And so instead of it being something that was fun between my husband and me or something that was like this journey of discovery that we had together, it was like, I need to do these particular things in this order. And I felt like all agency was taken away from me. Um, and that really had some very disastrous impacts on the first few years of our marriage. I had a sexual dysfunction called vaginismus where um, the muscles of the vaginal wall contract and it makes sex really painful, if not 
impossible or in intercourse, painful, if not impossible. Yeah. Um, and religiously conservative women do suffer from that at twice the rate of the general population. So this is, we found an incidence rate of about 22%. So this is a really big issue. And a lot of it is because of our teaching. So mm. when I wrote my original book in 2012, I was trying to write the opposite of the books that I had read. So, mm. you know, telling people, Hey, relax, you don't need to do anything too quickly, anything you don't want to do, like just relax. Mm this is fun. This is meant for you. Um, since then, however, <laughs> we have embarked on the largest research projects that have ever been done of religiously conservative couples and, um, well, just religious couples in general, um, in the Christian realm. And so we surveyed 20,000 women, um, 3000 men. Then we did follow-up surveys of another 9,500. So we've got, we've got this whole data set. And so I wanted to, to rewrite the original book, but also write the guy's book based on what we found. So it's really, it's not just our story. Like our story is in there, mm. but it's really not based on our story. It's based on yeah. the data because, you know, it's so many people find mm. themselves with different stories. And so, the, but this still applies to you too. Mm -hmm. Yes. And it came at the perfect time when I think that um, this culture right now has been given the permission to not just say no, but I re read a great article by Christine. Let me make sure I get her last name right. Christine Emba. And she talked so beautifully about how now we have the permission to say yes, but what are we saying yes to? And I think mm -hmm. we've deconstructed and taken apart and looked at what we don't want, but we need to know what to invite back in. And that's one of my favorite things about the timing of your book is people are kind of wondering, where do we go from here? We've, mm -hmm. we figured out what we don't want, but we've gotten to the point where we're choking one another in our sex life. And we're choking out the love between us. So mm -hmm. it's really good timing. So thank you. And then what would you say is the most important factor for sex life? Um, well, I think there's a threefold factor, and this is what we really focus on the books is that sex is supposed to be mutual. So mm -hmm. both of you want it, both of you are engaging in it, you know, um, intimate. So it's a deep knowing of each other. It's not just using each other. It's not uh, just something physical, but it's a deep, intimate knowing and it's pleasurable for both. Mm -hmm. So both of you are enjoying it. And those three factors all need to be present. And sometimes we emphasize the physical too much mm -hmm. where we see it only as a physical thing. And then it feels very cheap or you end up feeling used. Um, like you feel like he wants sex, but he doesn't necessarily want me because mm -hmm. you know, those are very different feelings. Mm -hmm. Um, and then sometimes we can emphasize, you know, other aspects too much and we can tell her, well, you don't really need sex. He needs sex, but you don't, all you really need is the emotional connection. <laughs> and then, and then we can think, well, it doesn't matter if she doesn't enjoy it. And that's not right either. So we just need to get that complete picture, you know, mutual, intimate, and pleasurable for both. Oh, I love that. And I know you're also friends with Dr. Camden and she's talking about that. And apparently um, there's an idea going all the way back to the Washington Post, this article I mentioned, um, they went back to Thomas Aquinas and said, you know, willing the good of others. And that's what I'm hearing here is it's not just about my own pleasure that's included and that's important, but it's mm -hmm. for both of us. So thank you for yeah. emphasizing that with everybody. And, and so we're going to be digging into the research here and, and talking it through together. One of the first pieces of research that I wanted to quickly ask you about was your statistic on, um, on birth control. And just, I think it's important women know that that might affect their libido and the whole process. Mm -hmm. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, this is a really tricky one. <laughs> I know. Because <laughs> I am very much about evidence-based stuff. Like I, if, if I'm going to claim something, I want to know that it was found in a proper study. I want to see peer review. I want to see, you know, and the fact is that when you look at peer reviewed studies, most of them say that hormonal birth control do, do, does not affect libido. There are a few that say that it does, but the, the findings are very mixed. However, <laughs> I exactly. can tell you that I can tell you that this is an area where every time I talk about it, I literally get hundreds of women saying, I never realized it was affecting my libido until I stopped using it to get pregnant. Mm -hmm. yeah. And because I started marriage on the pill, mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. I was on the pill for like five years and then I went off of it and suddenly I'm like, oh baby, come take me. And I never knew what it was like to have a sex drive. And, you know, I've heard that over and over again from women saying, I will never go back on it again. Um, so, <laughs> you know, it's one of those things where if you do have a low libido, I often do say like, let's just check what, what form of birth control you're using. If you are using one, um, and see if that could be the culprit. But again, I just want to emphasize that it's not clear in the research. So that really is my anecdotal Yes. Stuff. Okay. But the I anecdote, figured, yeah. <laughs> I figured you'd say that, but I was like, you know what? Like we still need the anecdotal conversation. Cause that's also my experience. Mm-hmm. And I think that sometimes clinical trials, you know, can't fully investigate everything. And I am not a conspiracy theorist in this realm, but I mean, it is possible that maybe these evaluations aren't, um, really, asking the right questions. So it's good for us to ask the right questions, which is, did you notice a difference in your libido after you were off of this or that pill? Right. Well, the other, I mean, the other issue is if you just simply look at it from a hormonal standpoint, the fact is that right around ovulation hormones interact and, and do things to each other so that we do get a libido burst right around ovulation. So that week before ovulation, that's when women tend to feel the most in the mood. And we tend to feel the most lubricated. It's easiest to get lubricated. It's easiest to reach orgasm. And then right after ovulation, your libido drops off and you're like, not really interested. It doesn't mean that you can't enjoy it, but mm-hmm. it takes longer to get warmed up. And then that week before your period, it starts going up again. So it's like over our, the course of our cycle, women do have this hormonal range. And what happens with the pill is it gets rid of that. So it makes okay, yeah. sense that mm-hmm. we might not feel quite as high libido and menopause gets rid of that as well. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Okay. That's <laughs> helpful to know about mm-hmm. menopause, getting rid of that as well. And when you say getting rid of it, do you mean menopause also can do the same thing as the pill? Yeah. just in the sense that you don't get that hormonal rush right at ovulation because you're not ovulating anymore. And so you know, the hormones don't interact to say, cause your body wants you to get pregnant. That's the whole point. Yeah. yeah. Right. So all of your body works towards, Hey, I'm ovulating now I'm fertile. So let's get it on. Like your body is saying now's a great time. Yeah. And so, yeah. and so when you're in menopause or when you're on the pill and that's not happening, then your body isn't saying, Hey, let's get pregnant. So the pill actually kind of works in a similar way to breastfeeding in some ways, like your hormonal balances are similar. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So now that's, now that's, and that's, again, that's extremely simplistic because there's many, many forms of the pill, but in terms of how women experience their libido, it's actually quite similar to that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And thank you because I just want everyone to hear that, like investigate this aspect. If this is a difficult area for you, um, this is something that you might not see a lot of research on, but yeah, it's there. So as far as it leads beautifully into our next conversation about, uh, just, I was shocked by the statistic that about, um, only about 40% of women, even a little less are, um, feeling totally satisfied, uh, in reaching orgasm by way of traditional sex. And, um, I know you're going to explain sex to us, but I, I really think that might be part of it too, is sometimes people need longer when their hormones aren't operating in that, like you said, in those moments of burst. So they need manual stimulation. Can you tell us more about this? Yeah. So what we found, first of all, big, big number that I want everyone to remember is the number 47. Okay. Okay. So remember 47, 47 is our orgasm gap. And what I mean by that is that 95% of men report almost always or always reaching orgasm during a sexual encounter, but only, um, just over 48% of women do. So that's a 47 point gap. That's huge. That's a big problem. So that's a lot of women who are not having that much fun. When we look at the women who do frequently reach orgasm, Mm -hmm. what we find is that only 40% of them can do so through intercourse alone. Like most women need a whole lot of foreplay and they find other routes to orgasm more reliable. Mm -hmm. Um, so manual stimulation, oral stimulation, whatever it might be. Mm -hmm. And And kissing, (laughs) you said kissing is huge for women. Yes. Like, like, um, and other studies have found that we didn't find that, but there's other very large scale studies that have found that kissing during intercourse is one of the things which is most related to orgasm. And we think that makes sense because that's also highly related to feeling emotionally close during yeah. sex, which we found was also highly correlated. So the, the, all the good stuff tends to yeah. go together, you know? Yeah. Um, 
Yes. But the problem is that if you ask men and women, okay, so yes, both men and women, does he do enough foreplay? Mm. When women frequently reach orgasm, just over 90%, both men and women say, yeah, yeah, he totally does, which makes sense. Okay. Cause she's reaching orgasm. He's doing enough yeah. when she's not reaching orgasm. 71% of men still say they do enough foreplay, mm. but so do 52% of women. Right. And so, so yeah, people aren't saying it's like enough for what? Like, <laughs> like, right now it's not pleasurable for her. And we've taken that out of the equation. So, but she's, right. so she's like, Oh, that's okay. I'll just do this for you. Cause I love you. Um, mm-hmm. and, and he's like, Hey, she, she's happy. She's relaxed. Um, but what I love, what you're calling us to is that God made sex to be pleasurable for both. Mm-hmm. Exactly. <laughs> so and so if she's, that gap? Yeah. If she's not reaching orgasm, it looks like what's happening is both people are blaming her there. You know, there's an assumption. Well, I guess she's just not sexual or she's just broken, or maybe she just doesn't work the way other women do, or maybe this isn't just, this just isn't for her. Mm-hmm. Um, and it could be that, you know, he's trying, but she feels like she's taking too long. And so she rushes him along because we tend to think that his experience is the right one. Mm-hmm. And because we don't react to intercourse the way he does, because we may not have the same libido he does, we think we are in a sexual. And it's actually not true. Um, women can reach multiple orgasms and men can't. Women can reach deeper orgasms than men can, research has found. We just simply take longer. And that doesn't mean we're not as sexual. But there is this overriding feeling that a lot of women have that I'm just broken. I'm not going to get there. Mm. And so we internalize that. And that often is one of the reasons that she can't reach orgasm. So, you know, there's so much in both books on just how, look, if she's not reaching orgasm, let's figure this out. Let's go back to the beginning. Let's not see her as broken. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, that's beautiful. And that's what I think um, really speaks to me that there's hope that these mm-hmm. women can, and, and men can, not just give up on this area and say, we're not having fun, but you give so many practical tips and tools mechanically of how to even touch a woman, uh, in this area to make her feel stimulated. And I also like how you're encouraging men to slow down a little bit. Like that's important Mm -hmm. that they're even if they're not timing up perfectly, because once again, we've talked before on our podcast about the myths and purity culture, but, but just to be able to say, if we do want to get together to orgasm close together, then we have to find a way to slow him down a little bit and to allow her to have time. So what, what is a tip for that when they're just kind of mismatched on timing? It's very important to understand the sexual response cycle. And I think this is something we don't get is that if you're going to reach orgasm, your body's actually going to go through several different stages before you get to orgasm. So you're going to go through excitement, which is when you know your heart rate starts to get a little bit higher. You start to get a little tingly, you know, your body is starting to wake up and then you're going to get into arousal when you're really going to start to get lubricated. Um, you're going to feel like you want to be touched in the erogenous zone area. Um, then you're going to reach plateau when you're almost there and then orgasm. And the problem is those are very distinct stages Mm. for men. They don't look that distinct. For men, they kind of look like all the same thing, yeah. <laughs> you know, but yeah. for women, they're quite distinct. And what people often do is they rush excitement. Like excitement mm-hmm. is the longest phase for most women. This is when you're just getting warmed up. If you do the things during the excitement phase that would make her feel good during the arousal phase, they're going to feel intrusive. So if you go, if, if, if you're together and she's not the least bit turned on yet, Mm-hmm. And he goes right for the clitoris. It feels like a pap smear. Like it's not, it's exactly. not, it's not a nice thing. It's just like, what are you doing? Like, it's not, it's not <laughs> right. fun. But if you wait, if you, if you kiss her neck, if you rub her arms, if you give her a massage, if you, you know, if you just what like do those sorts of things to warm her up mm-hmm. and then wait until her body is calling out to be touched. And that's when you start doing you know, the more overtly sexual things. And, uh, and that's really an important, 
important lesson for a lot of people to learn because I think what's happened is we've told everybody the clitoris is this special place on a woman that's all for pleasure. And so they go right for the clitoris right. and she feels nothing. <laughs> and so then they figure, well, I guess my wife's clitoris doesn't work. Right. It's like, no, you're just doing it too early. <laughs> like it's just too early. Right. And I love how you even share like how women's bodies are positioned differently, that there needs to be more creativity and touch. And, you know, they were given this organ and this organ to be touched specifically, but it's, it's gotta be timed well. And so I like how you're reminding us that men are visual and their younger years usually. And then later they might also need a bit more arousal and touch, um, mm-hmm. help with that, but that they can now you're reminding them, you know, take some time, even if you're not, um, feeling as aroused, that's a good thing because you're giving her time to warm up by doing this kissing in these smaller things to get her aroused. So thank you. And like you said, don't just grab at the erogenous zone. Um, she'll be crying out and calling you to it. And it might not be a lot of women that's not verbal, but it might be grabbing you, bringing you towards, right? Mm-hmm. Exactly. And, and one of the big things that we're trying to teach um, women is how to listen to our bodies. Because I think that that we read a lot of the sex advice, which tells you what women are supposed to like. Mm-hmm. And we think of sex as, as this paint by number thing, where if I do these things in the right order, it will feel good. Mm-hmm. And the truth is, it may not. Right. Because it's not, it's not about that as much as it is paying attention to what your body is feeling and then learning how to ride the wave that your body is going through. So, you know, learning how to stoke the fires, learning, okay, now I actually, you know, what, what is it that my body wants right now and learning how to communicate that. And that's a skill. It requires vulnerability. It's kind of awkward, but it really is the key. <laughs> it does. And, and that's beautiful that she's saying this as an eight guys, like, she's like, I didn't start out this way. Well, you did. I, I know your story is that you were ready. Then you read the books and then you weren't ready, but, <laughs> but now we've got better books. We've got your books and it, it's a new space where we can, even if we learn it all, uh, we still need to go try it out. So thank you for reminding us. Like, I love how you say you can do the either or game, your optometrist game of this yeah. or that, um, so that you're, yeah. you're experimenting together and having fun and it can be silly and messy and, and, and beautiful still and intimate still. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And, and that really is the key is just learning how to have fun and discover together. Cause I think sometimes we take this way too seriously. Mm-hmm. Um, and the truth is it is a journey of discovery. Like what, what I just want women to know too, is a lot of those women who are in the 48% of women who do frequently or almost always reach orgasm, they were once in the 12% who never did. A lot of them were once in the 12% who never did, you know, or in the 24% who very rarely do or whatever. Like, it's not like they were always in the 48%. And so let's just remember that there's a lot of growth that in that a lot of couples go through. And most people who are in the, the, I almost always or always reach orgasm didn't start out that way. And so there is hope for everybody. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yes. Thank you. I'm so glad everyone's hearing this because it isn't going to be just that, oh, he learned that some women like kissing. Cause there's going to be the woman listening. Who's like, actually, no, I really don't like the scratchiness or the way the breast tastes, mm-hmm. or there's always going to be exceptions. Mm-hmm. So make sure you guys listening are finding your routes and it might be touch because from what I'm understanding from your book is, um, manually stimulating one another. Some people have felt like that wasn't allowable and there's nowhere in mm-hmm. scripture that says that's not allowable. Right. Oh yeah. Like, no, you're allowed to enjoy each other's bodies completely. So yeah, I don't even know where people get that from. (laughs) (laughs) I know, but I think that there's, I've, I've heard it even like a couple of years ago, I heard somebody, this woman came up to me in a church setting in a children's church setting where I was serving. And she whispered to me that, um, women should never give oral sex or vice versa. And it was just said in passing and it wasn't a close friend. (laughs) So it was a very awkward conversation, but like, I just felt bad. Like, why are you feeling the need to share this here? Um, But also, (laughs) 
That's super awkward. <laughs> she was so sweet, but like, there's just something in our backstory sometimes that might make us feel that, or we've maybe been taught this and now we're passing it on to the next gen. So it's just nice for us to remind our listeners if they did have something like that being said to them, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm sure you yeah, get that. Yeah. And, and again, it also, yeah. And it also is really important to understand you don't need to do everything under the sun either. You know, like, there's nothing wrong with these things, but there's also not an obligation to do everything under the sun. Absolutely. <laughs> you know, what's really important is to figure out what you like, what you enjoy together and then make what you do enjoy super fun. And I think the more comfortable we feel with each other, the more comfortable we're going to feel like trying new positions or trying new things. But sometimes I think we make sex seem really daunting because we think, Everyone's got to do these really gymnastic things and become like, you know, this amazing person. And you know what? Just, just have fun. Just figure it out. Have fun. Um, and the more things start to work and click, then I think the more, the easier it is to, to try some more things too. Oh, thank you for encouraging us with that. And I love that you added that because there's certain things I don't like and certain things I do. And probably our listeners have that as well. And so, and even just different seasons, like we've talked already about. So you guys need to keep playing and figuring out and remember that, um, I love your statistic that 70% of women are not aroused at the beginning. So you're not alone if you're not And guys don't, don't cast this off if she's not. Um, but I also loved your research on the frequency of sex we'd been hearing about once a week, but will you tell us what you found or what you saw in studies about even more than once a week? Yeah. So, okay. So this is, this is kind of a complicated thing okay? <laughs> because I don't want to tell anyone that there's a certain frequency that you have to have. Exactly. All right. Yes. Because again, it really is up to you. If you've got like three kids under the age of three and somebody works shift work, I think that's a very different situation. <laughs> than having a 12 and a 14 year old and you're both working nine to five jobs or something. So, so everyone's at different stages in life and we need to understand that. So that, that being said, Mm -hmm. um, I also think frequency is, we often think that frequency is the problem. Like one person wants sex more than the other. And so we need to, we need to bridge the libido gap. And we actually found that frequency isn't the main issue because, and I'm going to list five things here so everyone can listen, but when women frequently reach orgasm, Mm -hmm. when they feel emotionally close during sex, when there's high marital satisfaction, when there's no porn use, and when there's no sexual dysfunction, frequency tends to take care of itself. So the couple, so it's like, we think frequency is the problem and it's actually more the symptom that something else is going on Mm. that we need to look at. So with that caveat, (laughs) thank you. And I I love that. I will say that, that other research has found and our research confirmed this, that once a week is like this magic number where below once a week, it has quite a significant effect on marital satisfaction. So, you know, your marital satisfaction goes down if the frequency is less than once a week and there's problems after once a week, you continue to do better, but it's like not by a lot. So there's this huge jump at once a week and then there's marginal benefits after that, but it's like, there's this magic number. So, you know, so like, yeah, twice, three times a week, that's awesome. You know, Mm -hmm. however, you know, like, but, but it does seem like once a week is this magic number, you know, where, um, it's just good, but I think every couple's different. And, um, I do think that when she feels connected, when she feels like sex is good and it's working, then often sex becomes more frequent than once a week anyway. (laughs) Yeah. And, and I love that we're going to talk about a few of those issues too, because I think there's several people listening saying, yeah. And, we do have one of those five things. So thank you, Sheila, for naming that and, and helping us to understand. And I was just always with that once a week thing. So it actually helped me to have a different goal just to see, oh, couples were even happier with more than once a week. And I am very research-based too. Sometimes I can check a box a little bit admittedly. So I had to really look at this whole book and realize you know, I'm missing out if I'm looking at sex that way. <laughs> That's not how it's supposed yeah. to be looked at. Um, so, yeah. but, but professionally, yes, I think it helps. But I also want to say, um, I want to ask you about your analogy when one spouse is feeling a little bit more 
uh, interested and um, playful and wanting sex. And the other one isn't. Um, I loved this part of book, the book. You probably know where I'm going, but um, I'll give you a little bit more just when couples are saying, you know, I'm supposed to be told I need to do this for your pleasure. And you gave a great analogy. I don't know if you can share it here or if you're like, they need to get the book for this. You do you mean about the going out to dinner thing? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. No, sure. Sure. So, okay. So picture, picture a couple, we'll call them Doug and Tracy. I think that's what we called them in the book. It might've been Dawn and Tracy, but we'll call them Doug and Tracy. All right. Yeah. yeah. And they've been told that what they need to make their marriage work is to go out to dinner once a week. Um, to a great restaurant. And so dutifully they go and they order their appetizer, their main course, their dessert. And the waitress brings Tracy this amazing bowl of French onion soup, right? And she's eating it and she's declaring it delicious and it's wonderful. Um, and then the waitress comes, takes away her bowl and brings her this steak with peppercorn sauce and a baked potato. And she's slathering the sour cream on and she's eating this, this, steak and it's amazing, but nothing's come for Doug yet. And so they're talking about their future and they're talking about the kids and they're talking about where they want to go for vacation next summer. And they're having this wonderful conversation, but still no food for Doug. (laughs) And then this molten lava cake arrives for, for Tracy's dessert and she's ecstatic and she's eating the chocolate and it's all running and it's lovely. And just as she's getting to the last few spoonfuls, Doug's chicken wing appetizer arrives <laughs> and he eats one chicken wing and then another. And then Tracy stands up and says, that was amazing. Like, I love going to restaurants with you. And then she starts heading for the door. Mm-hmm. And so Doug gets up, you know, and looks forlornly at the four chicken wings that are still on his plate. And he walks with Tracy and they leave. And I just wonder how much do you think Doug is going to enjoy going to restaurants Mm -hmm. if that's their story week after week and year after year? And yet how many women have had exactly that story when it comes to sex for Mm -hmm. years, Mm -hmm. because we've been told all you really need is the emotional connection. Mm -hmm. You're not really into sex itself. (laughs) Right. And so, you know, we think, well, we're supposed to enjoy this, but it's been entirely for him. Right. And it's like, you're naughty if you enjoy it, or you're a good Christian girl if you don't. And Mm -hmm. so it's really awkward. And you just shared that story so well, even I love the way you just told it because (laughs) I'm like, and, and also not only that, but Doug at the table is going to be thinking, um, and I'm supposed to say that this was the best food I ever had too. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yes. Because that's what, what women are told is that, um, and so many of our books tell women that they need to, to tell their husbands that they're good lovers and that they're enjoying this, mm-hmm. you know, that that is the big thing without actually telling the guys they need to be good lovers. Like, um, like Shanti Felden in the book for women only actually says, that if you can't, if you're not physically enjoying sex, you, let your words be heart words and affirm him anyway. Um, mm-hmm. So let him know that you want to be there. And it's like, well, why can't we just say, you know, a little to the left or something? Like, like why can't you speak up about what you actually? <laughs> why does it go right to the heart instead of we can both have physiological pleasures? Right. And exactly. You, you reference exactly. Song of Songs, like we know they were doing the best they could, but at the same time, like going all the way back to the Bible, they were enjoying Mm -hmm. sex, both of them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And she actually says more words in that book than he does. So she's really having a good time. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Wow. Thank you so much for sharing that analogy. I think it encourages the men listening or, uh, if it's opposite too, you know, either way, somebody is hearing that and feeling like, ah, you know what? I want to invest more in this. I want to explore more together. I want to play and knowing Mm -hmm. it gets messy. Um, that's okay too. Um, but I think it's important if we can talk for a couple minutes about some of these struggles, one of them you remind people of is sometimes just like you experience there's vaginismus or dyspareunia, Mm -hmm. painful sex early on. And what do you Mm -hmm. recommend for people who are dealing with this? Yeah, please see a pelvic floor physiotherapist. Mm. Um, They're really good. And uh, there's so many now it's becoming a a much more popular field in physical therapy, because we're realizing how many women do have pelvic floor issues. So it is really important if you're having any kind of pain 
Mm. you know, to go see. Mm. And often doctors don't always deal with it properly. Um, even OB guides don't always deal with it properly. Um, so if it, if it honestly is pain, like see if you can just get an appointment with a pelvic floor physiotherapist. Um, also, you know, read the great sex rescue, which is our book that we wrote before these two books. Cause the great mm. sex rescue talks a lot about some of the beliefs that we may have internalized, which mm. contribute to vaginismus. And so many women have told us that reading that book, um, help them let go of a lot of the things that they were really, um, holding onto that were hurting their sexual journey. And for a lot of women, they said like, this was the, I, I was already getting the pelvic floor physiotherapy, but this was what made everything click was mm. when they read mm. the great sex rescue. Mm. Yeah. Because oh. yeah, this is an issue that, that, that evangelical women have at twice the rate of the general population. So it is largely our issue and, right. and we need to get to the bottom of it. Yeah. yeah. Thank you for sharing that too, because there may be listeners who aren't evangelical saying that doesn't even register mm-hmm. with me. And it's like, well, but this is a population that in maybe the name of thinking they were trying to do the right thing, missed mm-hmm. out on something beautiful because of misinterpretation. So thank you for addressing that. And then you also mentioned a fascinating statistic about how erectile dysfunction can, uh, delayed ejaculation can be parts of the story more when there's porn use. And I mm-hmm. think a lot of the culture thinks porn use will make us feel better and closer together, but it sounds like just. I I know that uh, it doesn't make couples feel as intimate long-term, but it sounds like it also creates uh, issues within the sexual framework of even mechanics too, huh? It really does. And what we found with porn was what we call a dose response effect, or that's Mm -hmm. what they call it in in the literature too, which means that um, the more porn you use, the, Mm -hmm. the more negative effects we found. Mm -hmm. And there's negative effects in all kinds of, of different ways. Um, negative effects on marital satisfaction, negative effects on her orgasm rates, negative effects on feeling emotionally close during sex. But we definitely found negative effects on sexual dysfunction in men as well, particularly erectile dysfunction and delayed ejaculation. It is also there. There's also a correlation with premature ejaculation, but that one is more, um, does have more biological roots. So there's a lot of guys who just have it, but you can also yes. develop it with porn use. So it's, it's mm-hmm. a little bit, it's a little bit more convoluted, but yeah, with ED among younger men, porn, porn induced ED is huge. Yeah. And, and they can visit a urologist and get medical help, but what do you suggest for them beyond that? If they're like, I I'm dealing with this, I'm recommending Jay Stringer's course. Cause he goes very deep mm-hmm. as well, but do you have another Avenue that you always share about with this? Yeah. Jay Stringer. I've heard so many, I haven't actually read that yet. I really need to read his book because some people um, recommend it. I love Michael John Cusick's book, Surfing for God. It's it's really good about how um, porn addiction, like what is the root of it and how, and how do we effectively deal with it? Mm -hmm. Part of the problem in Christian circles is that we've tended to treat porn. Like if you just white knuckle it, if you just try harder, you can get over it. Mm -hmm. And that actually isn't true (laughs) because it's not about trying harder. It's it. And that can actually contribute to the problem. What really needs to happen is understanding that a lot of the, the reason that porn is attractive is because as, as Michael John Cusick says, it allows a guy to feel strong without having to be strong. Mm -hmm. So you're watching porn, you get this dopamine rush. Um, you feel like you're wanted when you're not, but it it lets you feel these positive things without having to do the work to be like, that would result in these positive things. And so unpacking that and realizing, okay, wait a minute you know, I'm basing too much. I'm channeling my need for certain emotional things into pornography instead of actually admitting certain emotional needs I have and getting them met in a healthy way. And for a lot of men getting over porn is not just deciding not to watch porn. It's actually about, um, realizing that your emotional growth has been very stunted Mm. and it needs, and it, and it needs to, to change. (laughs) Oh, oh, how important. And I'm glad that you're giving us Cusick's book also unwanted by Jay Stringer also listen for show notes on him, but what you're really reminding everyone is you are lovable, but when you're attaching your pornography use to these 
sensations of comforting yourself in ways that really you guys need to communicate as spouses, or you need to do some trauma work. Um, mm-hmm. it's, it's not going to be the solution. And in fact, it's going to bring long-term negative effects. So we do have solutions for that. Like I said, medical, and we've got these great resources, um, and then communicating in your marriage. Like you're saying, that's one of the five is you've got to have some good marriage going to, to have great sex. Mm-hmm. Um, but thank you for just illuminating us on this topic, because they just, I see it's getting worse and it's getting more violent. And that's where I was coming at with the Washington post article that was just out today is, um, it's becoming very alarming because people are like, I'm just going to not have sex if it's going to be dangerous and not pleasurable. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I don't think that there's, I don't think a lot of us realize how violent a lot of porn is. And when that is so many people's sex education. It is really scary. It's like, how do we even experience real intimacy? And it seems like, um, what porn is saying is that the high comes from using someone Mm. or making myself feel powerful as Mm -hmm. opposed to vulnerability, which is actually the key to desire. The key to desire is vulnerability to allow yourself to know and be known. Um, and, Mm. and we're getting rid of that in mm-hmm. favor of using someone because it's scary to be vulnerable yeah. and, and we need to bring that back if we want to have really rewarding relationships. Yes. And Sheila talks so much about this elsewhere as do I. So keep growing in your marriage, in your relationship, vulnerability and closeness. And that's going to make the safety come to where you can look in each other's eyes and kiss and caress and share loving responses uh, versus these things. And, um, and it's not just opposite sex pornography or relationships. Um, I've had some Christians and non-Christians alike tell me, um, and you may have something to say about this too. They said, you know, it's same sex sometimes, which Mm -hmm. they said they feel like in the church, it's not being talked about. And and now they've got an added level of shame because their partner or spouse Mm is, uh, dabbling in something that they really don't understand. Yeah. And especially when it comes to, this is kind of interesting, but research has shown that women who watch same-sex pornography, um, it actually isn't that correlated with their own attraction. So, Mm. but, but then women think it is. And so then they think I'm same-sex attracted when no, it's just that the pornography that you're drawn to is more because of that often because women are receiving pleasure, et cetera, et cetera, and and have more agency. Um, So there are other things going on, (laughs) but you know, whatever, I think think it's women that have been sharing that about their husbands, leaving them for another man. And also that whole thing with the sex. Yes. And that, you know, that also (laughs) definitely is an issue. And I, I think I think what we really need to do in the church, this is just my own personal hobby horse, but I would really like it if the church stopped elevating marriage as something which everybody needs to do. Like Mm -hmm. this is the pinnacle Mm -hmm. of life. Like you grow up and you get married. And instead the church talked a lot more about emotional health. Mm -hmm. Like what does it look Mm -hmm. like to be an emotionally healthy person? Yeah. And if we stressed emotional health, and community. Mm -hmm. And then people could get married if they wanted to, but it would also be okay to stay single. Yeah. Yeah. Because right now Mm -hmm. I think there's not permission to stay single. Mm -hmm. And so lots of people who likely should not be getting married are getting married because they feel like this is my only way to get relationship. And what would happen if it became normal for like a group of five adults, just to own a house together, you know, just to live in community or. (laughs) Yeah. There's a few people out there I see on Instagram trying to show that and to bring that way of life into the church and say, Hey, we have friends we vacation with, or we all have a community and we serve once a week together and we have potlucks this day and we all go to our regular jobs all week. So I do want listeners to know those communities are starting to get out there, but it's very helpful for us to hear that too, that the call to singlehood is real. We know if you're a Christian, Mm -hmm. Paul talks about this in the Bible. And so it's, it's a different conversation, but I just wanted those people to feel heard too today that we understand that some of the issues are complex. And that's why we invite you to Sheila's books for such a deeper dive. And I am so thankful because what I really want to end with Sheila is you have a beautiful stat on feeling close made women five times more likely to enjoy sex and mm-hmm. vulnerability is part of this. So, oh my gosh, yeah. that is crazy. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. 
And, and, you know, it makes sense though, doesn't it? Like it makes sense. It does, but it shocked me because it's such a big number. Yeah. And, and that's why I think it's so important to change how we talk about sex, because we often frame it as this male need, you know, he needs it. She needs to provide it. This is just a duty in marriage. And it's like, no people (laughs) (laughs) look, this is the ultimate in intimacy. This is, this is supposed to be a really beautiful, passionate thing for both of you. And it can be, it can be very life affirming. It can be life giving. It can be all of these wonderful things. Um, And so let's talk about it in that way and, and realize that it isn't just physical. It is something highly intimate. That's what we're aiming for. And that changes everything. (laughs) Yes. Oh, that's beautiful. I'm so glad you said that because we just, so many of us have been locked up for so many years about like, oh my gosh, like men are these rage monsters. They're all lust vehicles. They're trying to overtake us. We need to just kind of be quiet and, and it's just like, no, enjoy it. So Mm -hmm. thank you. And thank you for bringing that out with grace and with love and with power sometimes, because frankly, sometimes you won't get your voice out there unless it's a strong one. So thank you because I, I read, um, and I used to refer clients 10, 15 years ago to every man's battle in those books. And they just were not, what was true. Were they? No, they really weren't. I mean, it, it literally calls women methadone for their husband's sex addictions. And so I know, yeah, we can do better than that. And you are. So where can everybody get in touch with your materials and your books and your, your blog? Yes. Yeah, so you can find me at to love, honor, and vacuum.com. That's my blog to love, honor, and vacuum.com. We have the bear marriage podcast. Um, I have a very strong social media presence. If you go to the blog to love, honor, and vacuum.com, there's my, my Instagram, my Facebook, that's all linked there. And you can also find yeah our, our podcast. You can find our courses. We have an orgasm course. Um, all our books are there. So lots of things. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Thank you guys. Do not miss out on these books. These are phenomenal. And will you tell them one more time, the titles on your new book that you just put out again, and then you and your husband's book. Yeah. So we have the good girl's guide to great sex, the 2022 edition, the good guy's guide to great sex. And then our original book that we released last year, based on our survey of 20,000 women was the great sex rescue. Yes. Thank you. I just, our audience is so touched by you every time you come on. So thank you for spending this time with us, Sheila. Yeah. It's been great to be back. I appreciate it. Yes. You're just awesome. Thanks. And keep up the great work and rest as you need. Okay. I will. (laughs) All right. Thank you. All right. You guys got to hear about the good guy's guide to great sex. You got to hear about so many tips for your marriage. And I also hope that if you need the deeper dive that you'll check out the J Stringer conference in the notes. If you want to continue to follow along with us in the Enneagram and Marriage Relationship Planner or get your glow guide, make sure you head over to enneagramandmarriage.com. We've got you covered with all these great resources. Everything you need is in the show notes from Sheila and Jay as well. Have a great day. Bye-bye. Thank you again for listening with us. It was so wonderful to have you. I love knowing we're doing this journey together, not perfectly, but with love, grace, and hopefully some fun too. If you love today's episode, make sure you leave us a five-star review at Apple Podcast or Spotify so others can find it too. Visit our show notes so you can get all the links from today's show, as well as enneagramandmarriage.com, the Instagram, the Facebook, and all over the place. Make sure you spread the word. Love living intentionally with you. Bye-bye.